In this episode of Fictional Hangover, we talk about menacing murder messages. Batman. (laughs) Arnold Schwarzenegger's Japanese commercials. (laughs) Gas chromatograph mass spectrometers. And rage tables. In our discussion of As Good As Dead by Holly Jackson. everybody, welcome to Fictional Hangover, a podcast about young adult and new adult books, series, authors, and voice actors that is full of spoilers. I'm Amanda. And I'm Claire, and today we're going to discuss As Good As Dead by Holly Jackson. Standard disclaimer, if you haven't read this book, (laughs) please remember that Fictional Hangover is all about spoilers. If you haven't read or listened and don't want to be spoiled, stop listening to us and go read or listen to the book. Then come back. If you haven't done this but want to pretend that you have, or if you don't care about spoilers, or if you just like the show so much that you don't care about any of that, then listen up. Was it obvious what I was doing? Um... Is it obvious? Subtle. So subtle. <laughs> subtle like a hammer to the head. Oh, wink. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be a really good episode, everyone. If you love it when we're on fire with rage. Yes. Which you probably do, because we're ridiculous and we hate things sometimes. Rage table engaged. <laughs> let's let's discuss shall we do you have any background information i do i do i found something that i think i'm just gonna say what i found and i'm not gonna say anything about it okay okay this is from hitc.com this is an interview with holly jackson and she says i know my books won't be for everyone as they aren't really comfortable reads In fact, I'm pretty sure As Good As Dead will be a horribly stressful book to read. But I think there's so much that can be done with crime thrillers, and I'm definitely nowhere near done playing around with murderers and horrible people. That's foreshadowing. You know what? This book was stressful to read. She's right. It was stressful. Horribly stressful. Is that your initial thoughts? (laughs) Look, I don't have any. I... We know that we enjoyed the first one and we felt mediocre about the second one. But since we've already done the first two, we can't not do the third one. So we had to do it. And we know that we felt lukewarm about the second one. So I didn't have high hopes going into this one just because of the way we felt about the second one. Mm -hmm. And then I end with a shrug. Mm -hmm. How do you spell that? U H. Possibly an E if you're feeling a bit fancy. I might. I might feel fancy. I don't know. What about you? What are what are your initial thoughts? Your initial thoughts, Claire. Not your thoughts. Not your rage table thoughts. 
Well, thank you for that question, Amanda. I appreciate your <laughs> your interest. Um, I have thoughts and I have feelings. Excellent. Strong thoughts and strong feelings. Excellent. The first one, A Good Girl's Guide to Murder, I highly recommend. Mm-hmm. I honestly recommend that book. It's mm-hmm. great. The audio book is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, really, you know, read that. The audio book. The audio books are good. The audio books are entertaining. They're well done. They're good. The audio books are good, especially if you speed them up and then you're not putting so much time into them. Let's get into this because you're going to just get all my thoughts and feelings yep. now, yep. and we, we need to, we need to we save need to it. Hold that. We need to save that and savor it. And can I apologize now and later for? what i'll be saying how i'll be saying (laughs) yes and i think again we need to say what we always say when we get into these sort of sticky situations that you know every book it's reader every reader their book it's okay to not like things it's okay to love things it's okay it is and if we are contrary to your thoughts and feelings about this series or this book please let us know i will happily have an actual discussion with this if somebody you know we'll message it's fine because yeah. i'd love to see another perspective yes sometimes i think it's really great when like we have differing opinions on books if i really really love something and you don't love it yes but this time i mean it's a little ballad of songbirds and snakey Oh my god, yes. That's a very good that's a very good um, warning <laughs> for those who have listened to that episode. And if you yeah. haven't, why not go back and listen to it? And then don't bother reading. <laughs> yeah. All right. Oh my god, Claire. Do you know <sighs> This is a little bit of background info for everyone here before we get started in this. And I know we really need to get started soon. I know we do. I know we do. But I always read our summaries prior to recording day. Because if I don't, I mean, it just comes from me narrating audiobooks. I have to prepare. I have to read it in advance before I read something out loud. Or otherwise, I'm going to just flop every single time. So I've read this. But I did not realize when I read it that you put her fucking name in as what I called her the other day on accident. And I just now saw it and I died on the inside. (laughs) I thought I would inject some levity. (laughs) Okay. Really. All right. It's been four months since the events of Good Girl, Bad Blood, where Pippa Fitz emoji, as I called her the other day. What episode was that? Why did I call her that? What episode was that? I can't remember who was actually whilst we were recording or... I'm pretty sure it was. I'm pretty sure I left it in. Whatever episode it was, I'm pretty sure I left it in there. Um, listeners, tell me what episode I butchered Pippa's name. Okay? Thanks. It's been four months since the events of Good Girl, Bad Blood, where Pippa fits a Moby, 
not emoji, helped identify a killer who escaped capture. Pip has been mentally scarred by the events and is constantly looking over her shoulder, seeing the face of Charlie Green, the escaped killer, in everyone she sees. But not because she's afraid. Charlie's wife handed herself in eight weeks earlier, while the rumor is that Charlie has fled the country. <laughs> to Canada. Or... Where'd he go France. in yours? France? He went he to Canada. France first, and then eventually to Canada. I'm pretty sure in the American version he just went straight to Canada, because why would you go to France first? There's some, there's some differing things that happen because... UK, US. So if we say something incorrect... Based on what you heard, sorry. Heard or read. I did try and catch it because I did both listen and read this. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how you did that. That would just make my mind explode. Anyway. Purple hearts coming through the post. Charlie has fled the country to whatever country he went to. Pip is on her way to the city, <laughs> London and or New York, whichever you choose, to meet with a colleague of her father's at his law firm. Roger Turner is the best defamation lawyer slash solicitor, depending on where you're from, and Pip is going to need his help as Max Hastings is waiting in the conference room, a smug smile on his face. Uh, Ugh, Max Hastings, Max. Uh, uh, he's the worst. He is. Max has raised a libel lawsuit against Pip for the tweet and audio file she posted after his rape trial verdict was announced as not guilty. He was guilty. He guilty, was totally guilty. guilty, that fucker. This is a mediation to avoid court, but Pip wants to go to trial to drag all the evidence and witnesses out to prove he is what she says he is, and the audio file confirms he is a disgusting, filthy rapist. He is the worst. He is horrible. The exchange gets heated and ends with Max's counsel cautioning Pip against spiralling as she will lose everything. But Pip is willing to do just that to destroy Max. Foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. But is it really because did you really expect it to happen? Because what the fuck? Anyway, back at home, Pip is with Ravi, her boyfriend, who we all love, and Josh, her little brother. There is an awkward conversation about the meaning of perv, which Josh thinks should apply to the person watching their house. But Pip and Ravi dismiss his comment. The casual friendliness brings a smile to Pip's face that soon disappears once she's back in her bedroom. Pip sits at her desk, waiting for another night awake, when she reaches into a secret compartment in a drawer, pulls out a burner phone, and sends a text, promising to herself that this is the last one. Can I come over now? Yes. So, Pip heads out to Luke Eaton's house, the drug dealer whom she met during the Child Brunswick case. He sells her Xanax to help her sleep since her doctor took her off her medication prescribed at the end of her last case. But the PTSD is still overwhelming and she can feel the blood on her hands. It's way too early to take someone off their medication. Lots of feelings. <laughs> We're shown a copy of the webpage coronacorner.com which details how pathologists determine time of death. Rigor mortis, liver mortis and algomortis. Pip is looking at pictures of dead bodies for a Jane Doe case she has convinced herself is black and white, a case she can work on for the podcast and hopefully use to save her sanity, a case that will not make her question right and wrong and end with justice being dealt. 
A few days later, on her way to meet Ravi, Pip finds strange chalk markings on the driveway, almost like headless stick people. Shrug. Hmm. At a cafe where Kara works, Kara tells them about an altercation earlier that day between Max Hastings and Jason Bell, the father of one of his victims. He's also the father of Andy Bell, who was the murder case in the first book. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Max had his coffee, knocked down his shirt, but nothing more happened other than Max threatening to talk to his lawyer. Oh, Max. Oh, my God. Entitled Rich Boy. Ugh. Jamie comes by then with Connor, and they're soon joined by Nat De Silva. The camaraderie reminds Pip that everything is bad. Did you say it reminds Pip that everything is bad? I said not everything is bad. <laughs> okay. The camaraderie reminds Pip not everything is bad. (laughs) Everything's bad. Everything is terrible. It depends on who you're talking to, really. If you're talking to me and Claire, everything is terrible. But I say everything is terrible all the time, so... (laughs) (laughs) I need a table to flip, excuse me. (laughs) Later, returning from a run, Pip finds more headless chalk stick figures on the drive and a headless dead pigeon in front of their door. This is the second dead pigeon she has found. The first was as she was leaving for the mediation a few days ago. Showing them to her mom, Mrs. Fitz... I almost said it again. Mrs. Fitz Amobi. I actually spelled Amobi. I know you did. I know, I know, I know. Okay, so her mom dismisses them as dust from a car tire and the natural instinct of a neighborhood cat. (sighs) I mean, to be fair, to pigeon without a head, I can see... The natural instincts of a neighborhood cat. On, on your doorstep when you don't have a cat? Yeah. At least when it happened a few books ago in Here There Are Monsters, they had a cat. You see, the old house I used to live at, I didn't never ha- I've never had a cat, but pretty much the entire street had cats. And there was just dead animals everywhere, honestly. It was like just a corpses. murder scene at some just point. Corpses all over just the place. Serial killer cats. Which would have actually made this book a little bit more interesting. Ooh, hang on, I've just I've got a fanfic. Is that where you want? Is that where you want it to take place? You want it to take place right here, and there's an animal serial killer. Yes. Is the animal serial killer an animal? Yes, it's a cat. Okay. Does it wear a mask? Yes. Can you illustrate it? Yes. Okay. Good. <laughs> You're probably going to have to edit all that. Nope, leaving it in. Pip (laughs) tries to believe her mom, but then she gets a message on the podcast website with the usual threat of who will look for you when you're the one who disappears. Guys, please don't ever send us messages like that on the podcast, like on the website or on Facebook or any of the myriad ways you can contact us. Please don't ever send that to us. Thanks. (laughs) This one's a little bit different from the normal message that she gets because it has a postscript. Remember to always kill two birds with one stone. Yikes. This kicks in Pip's PTSD and her mind goes into overdrive. She starts to remember all the similar threats and looks them up across her email and social media. Pip then looks up information on stalking and creates a spreadsheet with every incident and assigns a severity scale. This is Pip. this is an exceptional Excel document. It is. Uh, she probably has like color formatting and everything. She really does. I'm sure she does. 
Pip goes for a run later and spots Max Hastings. Though thoughts of violence flood her mind, she does nothing. A short distance after she passes him, Pip notices something on the ground disturbed by her feet. In chalk, someone has written, dead girl walking. Joke's on them. She's out for a run. <laughs> She's running, not walking. She knows this message is for her and takes a photo of it. As Pip reaches home, Ravi is pulling up on the drive and she shows him the picture. This changes things for Ravi and he's convinced Pip needs to go to the police and speak to Officer Hawkins. The next day, Pip does just that, presenting all the information, her spreadsheet and the picture, but Hawkins doesn't believe her. He insists it's the trauma of her recent experiences and infers that she basically asked for backlash by putting herself in the public eye and says the same thing that her mom did about the pigeons. (laughs) Blaming the victim. Excuse me. What? This makes Pip mad. And us too. And she storms out of the interview room telling Hawkins that this is why people don't come to the police. How the police offer no justice and that Charlie Green was right. At home, Pip makes a list of all her potential enemies. And there are a lot. After a particularly vivid nightmare, Pip realizes that her own stalker case may be just what she needs. To save herself, she needs to save herself. Pip is watching her front garden when Ravi comes by. She set a trap with ham and bread to prove Hawkins wrong about the neighbourhood cats. Ravi can sense the building anxiety, so he takes Pip for a walk. Other than an unfortunate incident in the woods with Aunt and Lauren, former friends turned assholes, the walk seems normal. When they return to the Fitzamorby residence, however, they find three fresh headless stick figures on the drive and two others climbing the wall towards Pip's room. Pip realises this is a warning that something is coming for her. Dun, dun, dun. In her room, Ravi tries to persuade Pip to tell her six foot six inch dad what is going on. But she's reluctant. Oh my god, tell your dad what is happening. Oh my god, tell someone, please, for the love of all that is holy. But there's nothing he can do, so just don't even tell him. It's fine. Pip tells Robbie that from her research on stalking, the stalker usually has familiarity with the victim, and the warnings in this case are very specific. So they decide to utilize the almighty power of Google and find a news article from 2012 about the duct tape, or DT killer, so-called because of a distinctive M.O. He would bind the wrists, ankles, and faces of his victims with duct tape. The DT killer... Billy Karras was found and sentenced after pleading guilty. However, it is the recollections of Harriet Hunter, the sister of Julia, one of the victims, which raises red flags for Ravi. Harriet recalls headless stick people in chalk near the house and dead birds shortly before Julia went missing. I'm figuratively ruining the red flags. However... Pip dismisses this as coincidence. No, oh my fucking god. I just need a moment. 
Her reasoning is that the DT killer is in jail. Another quick Google confirms this. But Ravi is freaking out. I'm on Team Ravi. Mm. It's a serial killer, Pip. You need to you need to consider it a little bit more. Something, however, does catch Pip's eye, though. The date of the last victim, Tara Yates, was killed the same night Andy Bell died, the 12th of April 2012. Ravi points out that Pip doesn't believe in coincidences, but she's still insisting the DT killer is unrelated. Still. Can I still can I just interject here and say that didn't she spend the entire first book proving that someone was not the killer when everyone said that someone was the killer? Didn't she do that for the literal entire first book? Yes, exactly. Exactly that. Okay. Sorry. No, don't apologize. <sighs> Ravi does his own Google search, which is Billy Karras Innocent question mark. And finds a Facebook group run by Billy's mum, and the group description states that a false confession was obtained by the police, and a series systematic failings of the criminal justice system account for it. Ravi insists she get in touch with Billy's mum and investigate. So Pip doesn't sit back; she investigates. Oh, thank goodness! <laughs> it takes a few attempts before Pip is able to reach Billy's mum, Maria Karras. When Pip gets through, Maria mistakenly thinks Pip is getting in touch following the emails she sent to the podcast about Billy's conviction, and Pip does not tell her the truth. Maria tells Pip that the confession was taken under duress, and Billy tried to recant it, but his lawyer wouldn't. Billy had a drinking problem at the time of the murders and often couldn't account for his whereabouts, but there were other ties between Billy and the murders that the police twisted in order to get a conviction. Billy worked for a groundskeeping company, Green Scene Limited, and two of the victims were found on estates of Green Scene contracts, and one of the victims was Billy's supervisor. Billy even found the last victim and tried to rescue her, thinking she may still be alive, and in the process got fingerprints and DNA all over her. To top off all this information, Jason Bell is the owner and CEO of Green Scene Limited, and Daniel De Silva worked for them around the same time of the murders. Hmm. Convenient. With promises to send scans of the nine-hour police interview, Maria hangs up. Pip has been drawn in, and everything is telling her to worry that she's going to be the next victim. Finally. <sighs> Then, Pip gets a prank call on her phone. It's an unknown number, and the person on the other end doesn't speak. Mm. The interview transcript shows that Billy Karras was fed information and coerced into his confession. Billy didn't provide any facts, but Officer Nolan, who conducted the interview, guided him and talked circles around him. Billy was tired, thirsty and confused by the questioning. During this time, Pip receives further threats on her website and Twitter. She tries to speak to Jason Bell to find out about the break-in at Green Scene Limited, the night of the last DT murder, and Andy's death. But he won't talk to her because she's done enough damage. After she leaves, Pip receives another prank call from her stalker and is then nearly run over by a white sports car. Good dear there, Pip. You're having a grand day. Sometimes you should just knock it out of bed. No. (laughs) Stay. Stay under the duvet. 
Yes. It's duvet du- day. It's a duvet day. I can't say it. It's stupid when I say it. <laughs> Understandably, Ravi is freaking out over these latest incidents. But Pip tries to reassure him that she has downloaded an app that will unmask the withheld number. And once she has concrete evidence, she will speak to Hawkins. Sure. It's great. Meanwhile, Pip is trying to reach out to family members of the DT killer and Officer Nolan, who made the arrest. As Pip is talking, Harriet Hunter replies to the DM. Pip arranges to talk to Harriet in the cafe in town with her podcast equipment. Pip specifically asks about the pigeons and the chalk figures. Harriet says that they really bothered Julia, which is why they stood out in her mind, but they didn't scare her. She also says only three prank calls were made. Pip's had two. Two of three. Interestingly, Harriet reveals she was friends with Andy Bell. Andy had actually reached out via email after Julia's murder and they became friends. The email address is a different one than Pip has on her records from investigating Andy's murder. What? Someone has more than one Gmail account? How many of them? Shock! I have so many. Plus Yahoo. And I I have millions on wo- at work. Yeah, I've, I have a thousand email many. addresses. Far too many. I've yeah. forgotten the passwords for most of them. I have a thousand. A thousand emails. Pip tries to access this new email address of Andy's. Obviously, she doesn't know the password, so she tries to access from the forgotten password option. Unfortunately, she doesn't know the name of Andy's hamster. The password hint, by the way. Um, she'll have to ask Becca Bell during their weekly phone call, which they have at 4pm every week. Meanwhile, Officer Hawkins calls to let Pip know that Charlie Green has been arrested, which makes Pip spiral. Charlie can't be caught. He was never a threat to her. He helped her open her eyes. Hawkins refuses her request to talk to him, and Pip lies about the stalker situation being resolved. For fuck's sake, Pip. (laughs) During their weekly phone call, Pip is able to find out from Becca that the hamster's name was Rhodey. Pip also notes that, (laughs) though she's in prison, Becca sounds happy. Happier than she would be if she were out. After the call, Pip accesses Andy's secret email account and finds a still-active subscription to a self-defense newsletter and an unsent email in the drafts. In the email, Andy tells, to whom this may concern, that she knows who the DT killer is and is scared. Everything that she did was to escape and protect Becca. From who? Who knows? Let's find out. In an interview transcript with retired police officer Nolan, Pitt finds out that he believes Billy is the DT killer and the confession he got was gained properly. We've read it, dude. Mm -mm. It wasn't. Mm -mm. Nolan also confirms that no other family members mentioned anything about dead pigeons prior to the murder. They never recovered the serial killer's trophies either, and though he doesn't confirm, he also doesn't not confirm that the newly graduated officer, Daniel De Silva, showed a lot of interest in the case. 
That night, Pippa's printer wakes her up. On the sheet is a message. Who will look for you when you're the one who disappears? P.S. I learned this trick from you. Season 1, Episode 5. Ready for my next trick? Oh, put a bunny from my hat. Put a bunny from my hat. Yay, please. No. Her printer is wireless, so the person who printed this must be close to connect to it. Then a metallic scream fills her room as the person sends loud death metal music through her Bluetooth speakers. It wakes the entire house, and Pip is sure she spots someone outside. Can I just tell you, if that happened to me, I would shit my pants everywhere. Just just shit and pants it, it would be terrible. There would just be fecal matter throughout the house. Yep, I would just run around screaming and shitting, and I don't know what I would do. Also, why is she leaving everything turned on? I don't know, dude. That turn is, your shit off is, at night. Turn your shit off, unplug it if you're not going to use it, because all you're doing is wasting electricity, driving the bills up, and you're not being green. Think of the planet, Pip. Think of the planet. Ravi insists the next night that Pip stay at his house, and on her way there, she decides to speak to Nat De Silva about her brother. It's going to be a difficult conversation, as they're friends now. Mm. Mm. As she is walking along, Pip's phone starts to ring with a call from an unknown number. It's not PPI. Redirecting to the Trace app, Pip answers the call and goads the DT killer. Who will visit you when you're in a cage? Pip then calls the number back. The ringing is loud. The ringing is right behind her. Fucking yikes. Pip drops her phone as hands wrap around her mouth and an arm wraps around her neck. Struggling, she can't breathe and passes out. Fucking yikes. Yeah, that, that's, that's bad crap. Pip wakes in the trunk of a car, her wrists bound with duct tape. Oh, nuts. It's definitely the duct tape killer. It is. She tries to evaluate her situation. She tries not to panic. She tries to remember that she is Pippa freaking Fitz Emoji. Sarge. Pippa's Maximus. Pippa Fitz Emoji, even. Then the car stops. The trunk <laughs> opens, and she sees the face of the DT killer. Would you like a drum roll? It's Jason Bell. Oh my gosh! Jason has taken Pip to Green Sea Limited, a complex in the middle of nowhere. Damn. Inside a storage unit, Jason takes great joy in telling Pip she got something wrong. The alarm that went off all those years ago that she was so interested in talking to him about was the escape attempt of his last victim, Tara Yates. Ooh. Yikes. Not to worry, though. Not to worry. He's learned from his mistakes. As Jason starts unrolling more tape to fully secure her, Pip realises that all the trophies he took from his victims, he gave to his daughters and wife. And he probably got thrilled seeing them use them. What a sick fuck. Yikes. Before he covers her mouth, Pip tells Jason that Andy knew he was the DT killer, and it's why she died. She was trying to get her and Becca away. She hated him that much. Jason doesn't seem saddened by this, just disappointed. Then he tells her something truly devastating. Mm -mm. He saw Becca with a dog. Mm -mm. I don't want to listen to this part. 
he didn't give her permission to have. He followed her and the dog, saw her release it into the woods and walk off. He grabbed the dog and he drowned it. He didn't realise until after that the dog was Pip's. Oh well! Then Jason finishes wrapping the duct tape around her head before leaving. Absolute motherfucker. Oh, he's the worst. Pip blindly tries to explore her surroundings with an imaginary Ravi with her all the way. She's able to loosen a screw on the shelving unit she's taped to, which brings the shelves down, causing something to crash into her and drop her screw that she got out. (sighs) Figuring she can use the broken end of the shelving unit to cut her bonds, Pip is finally able to free her hands and tear off the duct tape death mask. Obviously, Jason locked her in, but there's a small window that Pip is able to smash and escape through. As she plans her next steps... The DT killer returns, and rather than run for help, Pip bashes his brains in with a hammer. Yay! Yay! End of the book. Get behind. Oh no, we're only halfway through. Settle in, folks. End of the book. End of the book. End. It's wishful thinking, Amanda. Damn it! It would have been such a good ending. No. Nope. And here's where the rage really begins, everyone. Finding a burner phone in Jason's car, Pip calls Ravi on his house landline and tells him to come to Green Scene, but don't look it up directly on Google Maps or bring his phone and only use back roads. When Ravi eventually arrives, he finds his girlfriend with a dead body. That's what every boyfriend wants to see. Somehow, Pip is able to persuade Ravi to help her disguise the time of Jason's death by cooling and heating and rotating the body and also frame Max Hastings for the murder. Jesus fucking Christ. Should have been the end of the book. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It only takes 12 minutes to plan how to get away with murder. Pip and Robbie decide to use Jason's car for the cooling and heating process, and then they quickly pick up all the DNA-covered duct tape and other murder paraphernalia and leave. The DNA-soaked trunk will be future Pip's problem. As Robbie drops Pip off at home, he goes over his alibi, where he will have a very visible and easily tracked time out with his cousin. Pip goes home to clean up, bleach all the paraphernalia, and pick up some supplies before... Starting to frame Max for the murder. Oh my god, just let it go, Pip. Jesus fucking Christ, just let it go. Firstly, Pip grabs duct tape to cover the security cameras at Max's house. Then she heads to Luke's house to buy the rehypnol he tried to sell her previously. It's the same rehypnol he was selling Max so he could rape people. Mm. I mean, that's... Look, if you're gonna not... (laughs) If you're going to not just own up to murdering a murderer, drugging a rapist with his own rehypnol is a pretty good twist. But fucking don't do this, Jesus Christ. Pip then heads to Nat De Silva's house, where she asks Nat, Jamie and Connor to help her, and they unconditionally say yes. She doesn't tell them a thing about what's going on. Nope, and they all just go right along with it. Those are some good friends. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. 
Lastly, Pip needs to sneak into Max's house after covering the cameras and pour some of the rehypnol into the water bottle he always, always has with him. She hates this water bottle. <laughs> she hates it so much. <laughs> with Matt distracting Max at the door, Pip is able to drug Max's water and then slip into a closet to keep watch until the drugs start to work. Slipping from her hiding spot, Pip is able to grab Max's phone and take it outside to Jamie and Connor, who will drop it on the grounds of Green Sea. Then Pip heads back to collect three things. A used hoodie, a pair of shoes and hairs from Max's head before heading out to secure her own alibi. She also takes his cap as well. Mm. So, so four, four things. things. But it specifically in the book says three things. Go fig. Pip heads to Kara's house, and she's not alone. Naomi is there, too. But they're both like sisters and will do anything to help. Pip uses their landline, because she's lost her phone, to call Mr. Epps, Max Hastings' lawyer, to tell him she'll take his deal, a public apology to Max, and a settlement. Pip then tells Naomi and Kara that they need to hang out for a couple of hours in public, so they head to a fast food restaurant. Pip makes sure to be seen by security cameras, uses her card for an electronic footprint twice, and they take silly pictures and videos together, conveniently using what she learned in book one to aim the clock of a phone at the camera. Kara and Naomi desperately want to know what's going on, but they trust Pip since she's helped them so much in the past. Just before midnight, Pip drops them off at home before heading home herself, making sure her parents know she's there and go into her room. A few minutes later, Pip sneaks out to meet Ravi, who is in Max's car. Together, Pip and Ravi head back to Green Scene to turn the body and start heating it back up. They clean any traces of Pip having been there and stage the scene for Max to take the fall. Max's phone is where Jamie and Connor left it, complete with three missed calls, one from each of his parents and the last from Mr Epps to give him the good news about the libel case. It's hard work and it takes hours, but they manage it. Pip dumps Jason's body a short distance away while wearing Max's shoes and staging the hairs she took in Jason's hands and on his clothing. At last, it's ready to set fire to the place. Before they can go home, they need to return Max's car via all the traffic cameras with Pip disguised as Max. She also needs to replace Max's hat, hoodie, and shoes, as well as remove the duct tape from the security cameras. Max is still conveniently knocked out from the rehypnol, so it's an easy job. Ravi makes sure Pip gets home, where she spends hours cutting up all the incriminating evidence and flushing the tiny pieces down the toilet. In the morning, she claims illness. So her family goes on a previously planned day trip without her, which gives her time to dispose of the burner phones and her shoes in other people's trash bins. Once done, Pip finally sleeps. I love that Josh is like, yeah, I heard toilets flushing all night long. And she's like, oh, I was ill from eating at McDonald's. I was shitting myself all night long. Do you, know, you would not get away with being able to flush all of that stuff down the toilets. You wouldn't. When we bought this house, we had a specific warning from the realtor to say, do not even put anything bigger than toilet tissue because people have been putting nappies down the toilets. 
and sanitary towels and being blocking the sewers. No, you would never, no matter how small, be able to do that. No, I call bullshit. What did she cut up? Um, gloves, multiple like plastic gloves, multiple pairs of gloves, cloth gloves, um, clothes. Yeah, material stuff, stuff that's going to soak and stog and expand. Tons of stuff. The only thing she put in the bins was the was her shoes, and the burner phones. It was too much stuff to believably flush down a toilet, in multiple the, toilets, but still. Mul- even then, it all goes to the same pipes. place. It goes to the same place. Exactly. And considering how many hours... She only got home at midnight. How many hours she spent cleaning the place out with Ravi and then hours cutting everything up and flushing it. The time scale doesn't account. Okay, right. We're not in the discussion. I'm sorry. No, we're I'm not. Sorry. Mm. This all happened Saturday night, Sunday morning, by the way. And it's not until Wednesday morning that the news announces Jason Bell's death and that it's being treated as a homicide. The police are appealing for witnesses from Saturday evening to come forward. Pip's mom tells her not to investigate. But that's exactly what Pip would do. So, she begins A Good Girl's Guide to Murder Season 3. Who killed Jason Bell? You did, Pip. You did, you did it, you murderer. Pip releases the promo to Season 3 with clips from the news announcement, the police press conference and an interview with Jackie from the cafe mentioning a violent altercation that took place only two weeks ago between Jason Bell and Beep. Officer Hawkins contacts Pip and asks her to come to the station. On the one hand, this is expected given her season three promo, and while there she may be able to find out if their cooling and heating the corpse trick worked. On the other hand, fuck, 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 oh my god, fuck, 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 fuck. Hawkins asks general questions about the last time Pip saw Jason, the interview with Jackie, and Pip's alibi between 9.30pm and midnight Saturday night. So far, so good. Pip starts to realize their plan has worked. Success. (laughs) Then Hawkins asks why her headphones with the distinctive Good Girl's Guide to Murder sticker on were found in Jason Bell's house. In his bedside drawer. Shit. Pip is now convinced Hawkins sees her as a suspect. At home, before the panic overwhelms her, Pip makes the decision to protect the people who tried to help her and plans to confess. End of the book? I wish. End of the book? No. End? Ravi is pissed because Pip is basically giving up and begs her not to go to Hawkins, but she won't listen. She literally is not listening with her hands over her ears. Having one last dinner with her family that goes on for far too long. Sorry, personal opinion. Having one last dinner with her family, Pip leaves to say goodbye to Ravi in person before heading to the station. But Ravi isn't home. On the drive, headlights flash her and Pip realises it's Ravi. Pulling over, he tells her he has fixed the headphones thing. Pip isn't listening again to Ravi as he explains that he told Hawkins he borrows her headphones all the time and that he's been to see Jason about setting up a scholarship in Andy and Sal's name and must have left them at Jason's house then. 
Hawkins seemed very happy with his explanation, especially as Ravi had a solid alibi for the murder window. But no, Ravi, no! I must confess! I must protect you! They know! They know! No, I won't listen to you! No, no, no! End of book? End of book? End of the book? No. No. Jason's murder is the talk of the town, and speculation is rampant. Nat tells Pip that Hawkins contacted her about visiting Max the night of Jason's murder, which she denied and said she was at her police officer brother's house, who was drunk, so he couldn't really verify the times. Kara also confirms that Hawkins talked to her and Naomi. They know what she is hiding... But they don't say anything. The conversation Pip has with her parents doesn't go well when she tells them she's delaying going to college slash university by a week to work on the podcast. Is that us? I'm sorry, I can't do any of these important things right now because I have to work on the podcast. Yeah. It's us. <laughs> dissertation? What dissertation? No. I'll just put Mm-mm. extension in. No, it's fine. <laughs> Pip needs to release an episode specifically for Hawkins to set him directly on Max's path. It's a good thing that our podcast is not as serious as hers is. (laughs) But still, if we didn't release an episode every Wednesday, I would shit myself. Oh, gotcha. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I couldn't handle it. That's how you know there's something wrong. I couldn't handle it. If, If there is not an episode Wednesday at midnight something's wrong unless unless we have specifically pre-warned at least two weeks in advance but it's never gonna happen it's never gonna happen it's never gonna happen i won't let it happen so if the episode doesn't release there's something wrong there's something wrong yeah anywho (laughs) after uploading the episode Pip goes for a mindless run and turns onto Max's street, where she sees police and forensic units searching the property and bringing out evidence bags. <gasps> this is a good sign. Later, the GGTM website gets an email from Mariah Karras. Her son's case is being looked into in light of new evidence, and the Innocence Project has also contacted her, which is another very positive sign. Pip realises that she was willing to leave Billy behind, but now she may be able to help him. Ravi wouldn't like it, but she needs to do this. So she heads to the police station. Damn it. Stop going there, Pip. (sighs) Just as she gets out of her car, police cars roll up and Max Hastings gets out of one and is surrounded by officers. Max spots Pip and in a blind rage runs at her and knocks her hard to the ground, screaming that she did this. Pip, in the smallest of whispers, tells Max, you're lucky I didn't put you in the ground, too. (gasps) Don't say that at the police department. Oh my God, what's wrong with you? Don't trash talk like that. That's so irresponsible. Max is... Into the book? Into the book? No. Max is dragged off, leaving Pip alone with Daniel Da Silva, who is obviously upset over Jason's death. Pip knows the truth, though. 
that Daniel was being used by Jason, and this truth will come out eventually. Hawkins comes back outside and agrees to talk to Pip. Pip gives him the research she gathered about Jason's connection to the DT killer, and Hawkins tells her they already have some evidence. But this is helpful. Pip can't get over how Hawkins said what he said about the evidence, and now she's convinced that he knows and he will come for her. End of the book? You wish. The night before Pip leaves for college or university, whichever country you're in, she and Ravi go out for a walk. Ravi is trying to organise the best time to visit her. However, Pip essentially breaks up with him. Unless or until Max is found guilty. If he is found innocent again, Pip is convinced Hawkins will come for her and she needs Ravi to be safe. But if he is found guilty, they can be together again. End of the book? Summary-wise, yes. Book-wise, no. In early December... There is no trial date for Max yet, but at least Billy Karras has been freed. Yay! End of the book. (laughs) The evidence that Jason was a DT killer set him free a month after it came to light. Evidence also showed that Jason was a serial rapist between 1992 and 1996, stopping the year that Andy was born. For the three months Pip has been at college or university, depending on where you are, she kept to herself not making friends and keeping minimum contact with her family and friends back home, desperate to keep distance. You know, just in case (laughs) she's found guilty of murder. The sirens that pass her as she walks aren't for her. Yet. End of the book. Really? Are we nearly there yet? Are we nearly there yet? One year, seven months, and 28 days later, Three minutes after the verdict is read in the trial against Max Hastings, Pip receives a text. Hey, Sarge, remember me? It's the end of the book. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to go and take a quick blood pressure test just to, you know, make sure it's not dangerously high before we get into it. It's going to get worse. These days, more authors are including mental health content in their books. But do you ever wonder how accurate some of this stuff is? Or do you ever read something where you know the author just gets it? I'm Elise. And I'm Priscilla. And we are Novel Feelings, a podcast where we discuss mental health issues in fiction novels. We are psychologists and book lovers, and we have a lot of opinions. So look for Novel Feelings wherever you get your podcasts. Now, back to your show. How's your blood pressure? Are you ready to send it through the roof? Oh, it's already skyrocketing. It's got rocket fuel in here. All right. Welcome, everyone, to the Rage Table. Round one. (laughs) Send out moments. (laughs) Okay, can I tell you my main issues throughout this entire fucking book? Why didn't anyone listen to Josh when he was like, oh... Um, so there's a pervert outside the window. And when the speakers went off, he was like, oh, I thought it was the guy outside. Nobody was like, Josh, what are you talking about? There's a man outside our home? 
nope, nobody fucking listens to Josh saying more than once that there is a man outside their house. Yes. It's also my surprise. Do you know why? Why? Because he's 10 and children are dismissed. That's the only explanation. A lot of emphasis is put on this book by the mother in particular that Josh has ears everywhere. You can be across the other side of the house and he hears his mother say the word fuck. And so then, why yeah. don't they listen to him? Because clearly he hears everything. He Clearly. Exactly. He's there. He's a, he's he knows there. everything that's happening. And he's a smart kid. But he's 10, so dismissed. <gasps> but I bet Pip, at age 10, was curious and would investigate and would see things and hear things. But... They're yeah. just annoyed by it now. They They're are. They are. They do mention that every single time. Like, oh my God, don't say anything. Josh is here. Yeah. Oh, we need to give him some noise-canceling headphones so he can't hear everything. Well, from what you're saying, is quite clearly inappropriate. It's so on you, really. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's my surprise, and I, I'm totally with you. Pissed me all right off. I was so frustrating. Uh-huh. The door even once go, hang on, somebody there? What? You saw someone outside? Yeah. People on Fortnite call me perv. Well, yeah, you're playing Fortnite, Josh. But then he doesn't say it's the people on Fortnite. He doesn't associate it necessarily with the people on Fortnite. He says the people on Fortnite call him call people pervs when he's playing online. But then his association, his definition, is then brought out by the person watching the house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm with you. Completely with you. Frustration. And it's so early on in the book, it's like, it's the first thing that, that starts to trigger. It's really frustrating. Something that I did like that oh, uh, was... This. I'm going to save this. I know. They talked about, Officer Nolan talks about how they never recovered the trophies mm-hmm. that Billy must have taken, these trophies. And even when they're going through the transcripts and stuff, they're like, so what did you take? What did you take from this person? To say it out loud. Now, what it, what was it? And he's like, oh, I guess it was probably a hairbrush. You know, like clearly they're coaching him mm-hmm. through this and they're putting everything in his mouth and they're setting this poor guy up, which is terrible. But they mentioned the purple hairbrush and a coin necklace. And... We've seen the purple hairbrush before. We saw the purple hairbrush in the first book, which I loved. It was in a picture that Pippa took of Andy's desk. Mm -hmm. Pretty sure then she hid in the closet, and that was my cosplay picture for that week. (laughs) She hid in the closet while someone came back in the room. But anyway, the purple hairbrush, we've seen it. It was in book one. So I appreciate that. Whether it was done purposefully or not, I appreciate the fact that there was a picture from book one of the purple hairbrush. But then, it really, it obviously stood out to me, the way it was written and and read. So I was like, oh, well, that's important. And then they mentioned um, the mom 
like walking away holding a necklace and it's a coin you know like oh there's mm-hmm. there's another one right there but i liked that i am upset with myself and the book for having caught it because i shouldn't have if we're doing things properly but whatever mm-hmm. but i liked well, I, I liked those things yeah i agree i like that i like the the that was probably the cleverest thing about it. So it's either intentional, this whole entire arc has been planned out and those seeds have been dropped in mm-hmm. or just utilised. Either way, clever, I agree. Yeah, yeah. My favourite, I mean, if we're going to talk about favourite things as well. Um, Which we is, should. We can't just hate shout. We're not just going to rage, no. Um, it's the... F- it's the support she has from her friends and from Ravi and her parents. Yeah, her friends it's are amazing. So refreshing to have decent parents who mm-hmm. support you and communicate in a timely fashion and express their emotions. You know, the way our dads always go on, I love you, pickle, and calling him, you know, his little pickle and stuff. And he's this six foot six, built like a brick outhouse. You know, he's black as well, isn't he? Yes, he's a giant, huge, powerful man. And that's why Ravi's like, tell your dad. Will you please tell your dad? He's a giant man. Will you please tell your dad what's going on? And she's like, no, I can't. What are they going to do about it? He He's a contract lawyer. He deals with commercial sites. He's not going to be able to do anything. Do you know He'll what? punch a living shite out someone. He will. And he's it. studied other kinds of law. This is what he's chosen as his career path, but he's studied a bunch of stuff to get to this point. So tell your dad. And if he can't do it himself, he'll sure as heck know who to go to. Yeah. Tell your dad. It's not like he's an isolated, you know, in this tiny little town. He doesn't. He, in the British version, works in London. In the American version, he works in New York. So... (sighs) Tell your dad. Tell your dad. Tell your goddamn dad. They're communicating with you. You need to communicate with them. And it was that was frustrating. But they they want help. And honestly, I think if she said to them, "Yeah, I got kidnapped by the serial killer after being after you know the stalkings that's been going on, and I bonked him over the head with the hammer," they'd have been like, "Right, you ain't going to jail. This is what's happening." No, and that's why it's so frustrating to me that. She decides that she has to have this elaborate fucking scheme of putting Max Hastings away for his murder. Like, this is the most stupid, most contrived thing that I have ever read in my entire life. When you can just say, do you know what? He's a serial killer. He has killed at least five people until me. He duct taped my face put me in the back of his car, taped me up, told me he was going to kill me. Taunted after telling, about telling he killed my dog. Yeah. And do you know what? I was able to get out. I was able to free myself. And yeah, I beat that fucker with a hammer. No one's going to be like, oh, how dare you? You've taken it too far. We must have put you in prison forever. That's not. No. No. She, she it would be self-defense. She wouldn't even get manslaughter, I don't think. Because the thing is, Green Sane Limited as well is in the middle of freaking nowhere. So if she escaped onto the road, and even if she hid in the trees, 
there's a very good chance that Jason Bell is going to be able to track her down and find her. Yeah, of course, because it's his business. It's his company. He knows the place. And obviously he's brought several people here and murdered them before. So he knows what to expect. Exactly. Exactly. He's learned a lot of lessons from her podcast. He's going to be able to have tracked her down. It is self-defense. Oh, but it's overkill. It's overkill, so I'm going to get in trouble. Like... I will admit you did use the hammer probably about 12 times too many, but honestly, in the same situation, I wouldn't have restricted it just to the head. No! I would have... Other than the fact that I would have been, you know, shitting myself all over the place. I would have been (laughs) shitting myself and just bashing everything with a hammer. It doesn't matter. Yes, I would have been squealing like a little piggy. But why didn't she look for a phone? You know how... Right, this is the other thing that I'm confused by. She calls Ravi's landline which i'm guessing is because of his parents they still have one i don't have a landline anymore we got rid of it like no nobody no, has no, no, a landline no. anymore grandmas have a landline my mum who is a grandma has a landline see grandmas have landlines exactly and then she goes to kara and naomi's house and uses their landline they wouldn't have a landline Mm-mm. no way that, no. that that's one of the most unrealistic things. Yeah, is having a landline phone. Yeah. No, no, pulled me out of the reality of the entire situation. But green scene would have landlines. Yeah, there would be so, office phones somewhere. There would be an emergency phone. Exactly. In the warehouse, There'd be there something. would be phones. There'd be something there she could have used to have called for help and gone. This is what's happened. This is it. This is what's happened. Yeah. And she's already reported to the police a stalking. She's already reported this to Hawkins. So... That's something else it, that makes me insane with rage. It's it's on record that she has got problems at the moment and it just so happens to have turned into the serial killer. And But when he calls to say that Charlie Green's been... Um, arrested and she's like oh, no you can't he won't tell, he won't say he's he's fine but you're still traumatized by the person that he did kill i mean you've got to make up your mind lover you're traumatized by the situation and you're going to hold charlie green responsible for the death of someone or are you not make your mind up um but then she's like oh no the stalking's all sorted it's fine and hawkins is like yeah okay no you don't come with that level of evidence on a freaking spreadsheet and those photographs and be so insistent and then leave the interview room so impassioned that the justice system is failing and then just go, oh, okay, it, it, it's my, it, is it because your life is easier that you don't believe her? Rage. Do you know what made me rage? But page one to page 536. Yes. Okay, so she's got this issue with Hawkins. She's like, Hawkins will never believe anything that I say. Hawkins doesn't believe me. Hawkins is a terrible police officer. Do you know that there's literally thousands of police officers that you can call? You can call anyone else. You can call 911. You're not going to, they're not going to go, okay, 911, I'll hold for Detective Hawkins, please. You can call anyone. Call someone in another state. Call someone in another town. Call someone. Call fucking Daniel Da Silva. 
Oh, she means- gets so hung up on Daniel De Silva though. She does. And, it's and so now annoying. look, now she's like, yeah, I keep, I keep um, saying that Daniel De Silva is responsible for all this. Like, well, call him and say, hey, you know what? You're not responsible for any of this. And hey, I just killed this guy. Can you please come help me? He's a serial killer. But no, no. The only police officer that exists in this world, other than Daniel De Silva, is Hawkins. There's. Yeah. There's so many other people that she could talk to. I, I, I even think that even if she'd called home and talked to her dad and her mum and said, you know... You, you hey, know I'm in trouble. Mom and dad, I'm in trouble. These yeah. parents would be like, where are you? We're coming right now. No questions asked. What is going on? We are exactly. here to help you. Exactly. And they may call the police on the way. That might happen. I, You know, depending on the situation and like their, their reaction... But it is understandable for an 18-year-old girl to want their mommy and daddy. Yeah. And for their first reaction is not to call the police. No matter how logical and organised their brain usually is, but in this highly emotional and adrenaline-filled, volatile situation, if you want your mommy and your daddy, then you can call them and nobody's going to hold that against you. Nope. And the fact... That she just ignores this key area, this key support network, annoys me. Thankfully, on the good side, Ravi <laughs> is amazing. Yes. He's got that. He injects the humour that needs to be there. It's like when he's, oh, we need to microwave, what we're going to do, refrigerate and then microwave the body. Yes. Yes, so actually. Right, so we need to microwave Jason now. And he injects that humour into and desensitises the situation. Yes. And the fact that he looks at the situation and goes, right, okay, so there's a problem with the headphones. I will give this explanation. That explanation has then been accepted. Accept that. And she just, I think... I think that Pip, unless she's the smartest person in the room, she rejects it. Mm-hmm. She she needs, she's so narcissistic, she needs to be the smartest person in the room. I agree and with that. And though Ravi's IQ, if they were to do an IQ test, may not be as high as Pip's, but he's still a smart person. Yes. He's still intelligent. He's just got a bit more wherewithal about him. And Kara and Nat and Jamie and Connor and Naomi. Fantastic. You got a problem. I mean, that's what friends should do, you know? Yes. I have a problem. This is what I need you to do. I can't tell you any further information. Will you do it? Yes, great. Let's do it. Let's go to Mackie D's. Let's get some chicken nuggets and take some crappy pictures. You know, it's it's not it's not out of the realms of what what a friendship would do. No. But yeah, it drove me crazy. With the good there mixing with the bad. <laughs> I think it's because it turns out it turns into a really bad like Batman comic. Like Pip, you're not Batman. No. You were not a vigilante. You can't get this is vigilante justice. You You've literally set somebody up to be done for murder. And yes, Max Hastings is the filth and scum of the earth. Yes. And he should be in jail. He should be rotting in jail. But unfortunately, he was found not guilty. You 
should not be taking justice I am vengeance in your own hands and doing this yeah. what you should be doing is you know going for a retrial getting further witnesses you know doing going down the legal route and getting him put in jail for what he's done yeah and i, I mean i have no perf- personal experience with the kind of filthy thing that max has done and you know thankfully i don't know anybody who has but if that's the situation i can imagine it'd be very difficult to get convictions because you see it all the time that it's difficult to get convictions but the way she's gone about it is not right either Mm-mm. and the other thing about you know how saying serial killers all the way through and it, it happened in other books where we've had serial killer conversations and you're saying um like the cynthia murphy's um uh win lose kill die mm-hmm. serial killers will always try and inject themselves into the investigation that's literally what pippa was doing the entire fucking time and it drove me nuts yeah and this is only one death and you kind of think is she gonna go batman and go for vigilante justice now for other people and okay, Batman didn't kill technically. Technically, he didn't kill. If you've played any of the computer games, he was killing left, right, and centre. Yeah, but technically, in the comics, Batman does not kill people, but he's still a vigilante. So for me, Pippa is t- trying to be Batman. <laughs> now, see, um, you want her to go on and be Batman. I don't. I don't. I want her to go down the legal route and get all these sons of bitches tried in a court of law and found guilty for the crimes that they've committed legally. I do not want her staging these elaborate, convoluted, so unbelievably specific plans in the name of justice, quote unquote. Can I tell you that all I want now, after... After this has happened, all I want is for Holly Jackson to write another series in which Pippa is a serial killer. I want her to have flipped a switch and now she's just murdering people all over the place and no one can ever catch her. That's what I want. Yeah. No, I agree. It would be the only thing to me that would really make this book have a point yeah it it bothered me as i was reading the book i was like what is this book actually about so i turned the book over and i read the back and i was like this doesn't tell me anything the the only reason i bought this book is because i've got the first two right and this is the last in the trilogy let's read it and the book description tells you nothing. Mm. And I was about halfway through the book and she's been kidnapped. She's she's not going to die because there's still half a book to go. And I'm like, what the, what is the purpose of this book? And at the end of the day, I do not know still what the purpose of this book was. Now, what's the moral of this story? There is none. And, okay, you don't need... Don't, you don't always need a moral in the story. You don't always have to have a lesson learned. But I'm still not sure why I've spent so many hours with this. 
I, I don't get it. Unless it is a setup to make him into a serial killer, which would be fantastic. See, in some of the interviews that I read, she talks about how, you know, this book is very, like, teetering on the edge of YA. That some of the stuff crosses over into other, you know, more adult themes, which I do not, I don't, I I don't, don't see that. See I don't that. think it's definitely YA for me all the way through. Yeah, but she talks about how she sees in her future adult books being a thing. We'll make that this series. Pimp's a serial killer. Yeah. Because otherwise, what was the point of this book? None. I don't, I don't know. There was none. None. I think you got. I think the the point of this book was for you to get kicks out of me sending you the messages as I was reading through. Yes. Raging. Yes. <laughs> because in this case, I read this one first and mm-hmm. was seething all on my own, going, "Oh my god, I need to talk to Claire. I need to talk to Claire right now. I need to talk to Claire about this," but I can't because you didn't read it yet. And then you then come the texts, and you're like, "What is going on? This is so stupid." Yep. And I'm like, just wait. Just wait, Claire. Just wait. It's not even halfway over. Just wait. And you're like, uh. <laughs> Why? Why? What's the point? What? Okay. Other thing that I know I raged to you via text message for. So it's, it's you know, you've got spoilers for this discussion. This, it specifically says that the events in this book take place four months after the second book. Mm-hmm. So we know Pip is going to start um, college slash university in September. Mm-hmm. Um, so we know it's basically over the summer. It's mm-hmm. the summer period. So four months has happened. You cannot tell me that in that four months, she has seen a psychologist being diagnosed with um, PTSD and other complications of mental health. Um, received medication, gone on the medication, and then been taken off the medication. No, it takes months for your body to adjust to medications. You can't just be like, okay, well, it didn't work. Just, you don't need it anymore. You're too good for it. You don't need it anymore. Just go to counseling. Mm. Yeah, go to counseling and continue taking your medications, please. Yes. That's not how medicine works. No. Especially if you're like, well, this is going to be the first medicine we're going to try, you need to get the medicine, the dosages right. And then if that particular, if, the, if you have a particularly bad reaction to that medication, you need to come off it, not be taking any medication for any little, for a length of time, and then going on to something else. You need to trial and test yeah. and experiment with the cocktail of medication that you need yes. to go on to. You wouldn't be told, oh, we're taking you off everything. You've got to go to counselling. That wouldn't That's happen. That's not a thing. It's not. And I felt like this book was unsympathetic and very disrespectful to the representation of mental health. Yes, I agree. Um, the the spiral moments when she was like refusing to re- listen to, to Ravi or when she was um, thinking that Hawkins was convinced that she had done it. So her moments of paranoia, that's mental health issues right mm-hmm. there. And I just don't think it's done well. I think it's extremely bad and I don't like it. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm really, really angry at it. 
And if we're going to do the UK-US divide, where it might be that in the United States they don't have the insurance for the medications that she needs to go on to, um, I don't agree that no. would happen. No, based I don't. On her parents' employment, I yeah, think that mm. she would. Yeah, she with her dad being a lawyer, he's gonna have good health insurance. Which she, the mom's like a real estate agent or something. Yeah, like they're gonna have health insurance, and Pip's gonna be on it until she turns twenty six. So she's gonna be fine. She can take whatever medications she needs to take. And in the UK, as an eighteen year old, you would start to be recognised as an adult. But we have the National Health Service, so you. You know, she might be paying for a prescription, but what? That's not even, that's a ten pound. You can get one 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 bottle of prescribed medication will cost you just under ten pounds. That makes me want to vomit. Or because this is what we have to do in my house. If you have a lot of medication that you need to take multiple prescriptions, you can go on a direct debit and pay ten pound eighty one a month. A month and have unlimited prescriptions for that person. I'm vomiting all over everything right now. Earlier I was shitting on everything. Now I'm vomiting on everything. That makes me sick to my stomach. But also, you would be free if you're diabetic. Your medication is free. Can I just tell everyone and that... All you, and, or just to add on to that, not just your diabetic and medication, all your medication would be free. So if you had to go on antibiotics for a throat infection... You will get that for free. That All your medication. Once once you have been diagnosed in the UK as having ongoing medical treatment that requires free prescriptions, it like diabetes, or your prescriptions are free. That makes me sick to my stomach. Until and 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 if you reach a certain age, I can't remember what it is, if it's sixty five or seventy, you're free. So regardless, once you reach a certain age, you would be free. So the elderly don't have to worry about prescriptions. And children don't have to worry about prescriptions until they're under 16. And uh, birth control is free as well. So don't give me this bullshit about her on her mental health being taken off all this medication wouldn't happen. Can I just tell you that up until this month, I was paying $95 a month for one bottle of insulin. And that's with insurance. Fuck. Fuck. I just I just got switched to a preferred brand and it's $40 for one vial of insulin. That's that's and disgusting. That is an absolute ripoff. Several years ago, I had an insurance company that wouldn't pay for anything until after you reach a deductible and I cleared the deductible with one purchase of my insulin because I had to buy it outright it was hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of dollars if not close to a thousand dollars just to live what what fuck all everyone Don't get diabetes, guys. Don't do it, even though, you know, the majority of us are born with it and we can't help it. Type 1 diabetes. Woo. That's disgusting. Yeah, diabetes sucks. That doesn't even include the insulin pump and all the stuff for that. That's also 
you know, thousands upon thousands of dollars. <laughs> Greatest country in the world, eh? Oh. Don't even look after you people. Can anyway, let's about stop talking about trans that. rights and stopping fracking guns. Political conversation ended. There yes, we, go. we got to stop talking about that. It's, it's going to spiral. Trans rights are human rights, just saying. Right. Yeah, so that's my big thing, the mental health. I felt like was... It was the it was the it was the beginning of the rage table, and that and happened in the first what three pages of the book. <laughs> yes, and then there was Josh and his what's a pearl of lead personal toy, not being believed. Yep, that was terrible. Pip, looking up with Ravi using the oracle that is Google, and finding the news article about the DT killing one. Oh, it's just a coincidence. It's just a coincidence. Let's not look into that. It's, it doesn't mean anything. The killer's been caught. Oh. Ravi is like, there are four things that are exactly the same as what is happening to you right now. That's not a coincidence. Oh. Shrug. He's in jail. I didn't spend the entire first novel proving people's innocence. And if you do have a stalker as well who's doing these creepy headless stick characters and chalk on your driveway, would you sit and do nothing or would you be like, let's get a web camera and record the driveway? Or, hey, mom and dad, this is happening. Can we get one of those ring bell things that record all movement and yeah. you see the Amazon delivery drivers dancing on TikTok yes. and get one of them and the, to prove to the police because they're being assholes and they will be like yeah we'll amazon prime that right now and wait for the delivery driver to dance down the driveway i hate that in that moment you know she's she just she's decided after it's happened however many times she's like okay well i'm just gonna sit and watch now and then ravi comes over and he's like hey babe let's go take a walk because you're you're scaring me the way you're acting right now and then she comes back and then there's new stick figures and she's like fuck i should have been there you know i should have been there ravi why did you take me away look you have a laptop at your desk just like open it up and start recording from your laptop out your window yeah. That's something that you can do. You have the materials to do that. Just yeah. just start recording. You have a mobile phone. Put the mobile phone in the window at a proper angle and start recording and yeah. walk away. There You've got so six burner many. phones. Take one of those with you to make your phone calls and your texts. No one will know that it's a burner phone. And leave, leave your good phone there recording everything out your window. Exactly. It's so frustrating. Like, to the point where I, I think my brain stopped working because of the, because of the annoying little things that were happening. Mm -hmm. And it didn't help the fact that I gave zero shits about Pip. Yeah, I she is not a likable character. I do I don't care about her either. Not one fuck. No. Like I I didn't feel sorry for her being stuck at college slash university for nearly two years, not making any friends, not talking to her friends and family, not talking to Ravi, being all sad and lonely. Because I I just didn't care. And I also didn't understand her logic of, well, we need to keep the distance because if if Mex doesn't get found 
guilty, then they're going to come for me. Well, based on what? You've set up Max perfectly. Yeah. He's going, you know, if even if he is found innocent as a miscarriage of justice in air quotes because, well, it's a set up, there is no evidence to come for you. No. And if there was suspicion, there's still no evidence. Mm-mm. There's no motivation. There's nothing there to tie her into Jason Bell. And it's just so frustrating. So she's she's done all of this to herself. And I, I do wonder if partly it's from a sense of guilt, the fact that she's taken a life. But I also don't know how much she does feel guilty about taking a life. And, I can, you know, he's a disgusting murderer, rapist. Um, yeah. He, he was, you know, technically abusive to his children. He might yeah. not hit them, but it was certainly, you know, um, emotional and, and yes, mental abuse. definitely. So he's scum of the earth and got what he deserved. But, you know, there wasn't any... There was nothing about her being regretful of actually being the person who wielded the, the ha- literal hammer. Yeah. And she just gets... Dis- Yes, there's mentions of Charlie Green from the second one who was trying to find the child Brunswick from a case years ago mm. where he, who helped lure his sister into a van and child Brunswick's father committed terrible acts and murdered that girl. Yes. And Charlie blames the small child who was about 10, 11, 12 for yeah. helping lure the, his sister into the van. And I get that. Yeah. And he eventually finds out who it is and murders them by shooting them six times and the person dies in Pip's arms. Like, she's covered in the gore. Yeah. And that's obviously going to stick with her. Yes. You know, it's caused a, a PTSD and other mental health issues. Just go to counselling. <laughs> Just counselling, that's all you need. Just talk it out once a week. Um, But she's so hung up on the Charlie Green aspect and it really doesn't go anywhere Mm -mm. it's it's a dangly thread that barely gets pulled like yeah she doesn't want him she sees him everywhere and she seems very paranoid about seeing him everywhere but it's more she's paranoid that he's going to be there because he's going to get arrested and she doesn't want him to be arrested because he taught her justice yeah or taking justice in your own hands it's woolly, it's loose. And it I'm, is. Mm, it's not, not It's not great. It's not great, which is why we felt mediocre about the second book. Yeah. And now here we are in this one, and we're full of rage. One of the things that I hated the most... <laughs> forget, forget all preamble. <laughs> Let's get this list out. <laughs> I, I really hated the fact that this... She's contacted this falsely accused serial killer's mother. And she's like, oh, you finally see my emails. And she's like, well, no, I didn't. But she doesn't say that. You know, she just goes along with it. But then she finds all this stuff, all this evidence, and she fucking murders the actual serial killer. And she doesn't have one fucking thought in her head for the guy who is still in prison. Yeah. While she spent the entire first book proving someone's innocence i just can't let go of that i can't let go it's it's so out of character for her to have Mm -hmm. been so involved with clearing robbie's brother sal's name and finding out all of this stuff 
for her to not give one fuck about the actual guy who is in prison yeah. wrongfully. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. It's it's not the same person who's in book three and uh, sorry, book one who's in book three. And considering the time period that's gone on, and yeah, okay, a lot of stuff's happened in the in the meantime, but not enough to change somebody's character that mm. fundamentally. Mm-mm. And the whole point is she's just as she doesn't believe in the justice system. She doesn't believe the police and the courts are going to find these people guilty of the crimes that they she knows they have committed and are going to sentence them accordingly. But she's accepting and happy to keep Billy in jail. Hate it. After reading that interview where you're just like filled with rage on Billy's behalf because yeah. it is so clearly coaching and manoeuvring and set up. It's disgusting. I hate it. I, hate it. I, I do too. And she's just like, eh. And then all of a sudden she's like, oh, Billy. Ooh. Oh, whoops, Ooh. I forgot about him. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, it just, I'm, I'm with you there. It, yeah. it makes very little sense. Terrible. Very little sense. Is that enough? I feel like we've, I feel like we've, you know, beaten this book to death with a hammer. <laughs> I've got the bloody hammer downstairs. <laughs> bits of bone and hair sticking on it excellent like i just i don't want to talk about it anymore i think we need to i think we need to wrap this up i think it's quite obvious that we we did not i'm just i'm disappointed did not i'm disappointed in the outcome of this book because like i've been saying the whole time this is not like, it's completely opposite to what Pippa was in the first book. And yeah, yeah the second, we really enjoyed the first one. We really, really did. And then the second mm. one we felt meh about. And this one, it's just so, it's not the same. It's like, if you had changed her name, it could have been a completely different story. Yeah. I keep thinking to the background information as well that you picked up. It's like, she it knows. Like... She's got to know that she let a lot of people down with this one. Yeah. So, <laughs> it will be horribly stressful book to read. It was it was so stressful because of the frustration and the annoyance yeah. and the fact it just never ended. No. And yeah, I do agree that lots of different things can be done with crime fillers, crime thrillers and that murderers and horrible people can be played around. And I get the fact that it's no longer a good girl's guide. She's not a good girl anymore. No, you she's, know, that's a, being she's a murderer. Dropped yeah. Because she's Batman. No, she's not Batman. I am Batman. She's not I Batman. Am no. No, she's not Batman. You said it yourself. She's not Batman. She's a weak Batman. No. She's George Clooney Batman. Is he the worst Batman? What about Val Kilmer? He wasn't good either, but I think it's the the George Clooney one's worse just because the villains were done so badly. No, but I loved them. Well, you can love them in a crappy way, in a corny way, but come on. Mr. Freeze, 
Look, no, do not say one negative word about Arnold Schwarzenegger as Mr. Freeze because I love it so much. (laughs) Yeah, but you love the wrong. I just love Arnold Schwarzenegger, okay? Do not send me off on that trail again where I watch all of his Japanese commercials because I will do it. I will do it right now. You need to do it. Because I need joy in my life. I need joy in my life again. <laughs> I need to watch Arnold Schwarzenegger eating cup noodles and lifting cars over his head. It needs to happen. I need to Google this because I have not seen Arnold Schwarzenegger's Japanese. Adverts, <laughs> They're so, so good. There's just an entire YouTube video, and I don't even know how long it is. It's like 45 minutes of just his commercials from Japan, and they're so good. I, I'm going to go down this... Um, <laughs> oh damn! I've already gone down the hole. Oh my god! Up there, and there. Good. Okay. Save it. Save it. We gotta. We gotta move on. We gotta finish up this episode. Can we play? Would you rather? Let's play. Let's play. Would you rather? It's, it's time. It's time. Okay. We asked on social media. Would you rather investigate a cold case or a recent murder? On Facebook, it was 71% towards cold case. On Instagram, it was 67% for cold case. And on Twitter, 100% for cold case. And on TikTok, 56% for cold case. Everybody wants to solve a cold case. Yes, we have many, many, many comments. Yes, we do. Candy on Facebook said, Haha, I'm reading it. I'm reading this one this time because you're not going to make me do Colin's exceptionally British one, even though I don't think it's very exceptionally British this time. It's not. Candy on Facebook said, cold cases are probably more challenging. I think I'd like to try and solve one. Can I just tell everyone listening that Candy has wanted to solve a cold case for at least half of my life? Candy is my sister, everyone. (laughs) She has wanted to solve a cold case. I don't even know. I don't even know how long she's wanted to solve a cold case. I mean, the first... The first thing to do with a cold case is to actually get a cold case. So, yeah. Colin on Facebook said, recent murder. How else am I going to insert myself so firmly into the investigation I become a suspect? Just ask Pippa. Just turn up at the bloody police station every five minutes. (laughs) Dakota on Facebook which I love Dakota. I love all of her responses, especially this one. And I knew we were going to get a good one from her this time because I remember previous comments from Dakota. I was ready Dakota for it. Dakota puts detail in. She does. But can we caveat Dakota's response, though? In what way? That she um, is a forensic investigation student? No. Her explanation is fantastic and it's wonderful, mm. but it's also very long. So oh, just- yes. Yeah, there, it. it it would be another hour to the episode with yeah. all of the details that she supplied. So everyone, go and check out our Facebook, and you can so you can read her entire comment. It's really interesting. It is. It's very interesting. So Dakota said, as a forensic investigation student, I love this question. Prepare for me to geek out for a minute or like thirty. Cold cases are much harder to solve for many reasons. And then she lists all of the reasons. I would honestly choose a cold case for the simple fact that I want justice. There are many that can handle the recent murders, but it takes special training and skills to solve a cold case. And Dakota, 
you are going to be able to do that one day, my friend. I'm Without doubt. I'm looking forward to the day that Dakota gets interviewed on like cold case documentaries mm, mm-hmm. on how she, you know, found this single hair, this single DNA strand yes. that matched to the murderer or something <gasps> really cool. She's she's gonna use the gas chromatograph mass spectrometer. <sighs> We've got saucy again. No, don't do it again. I can't do it again. Let's just go on. Let's just go on. <laughs> Constance on Facebook did not give us a song thank you she said I'd want to do a recent murder so I can have the satisfaction of nailing the murderer to the wall would also accepted nailing the punk to the wall or hammering him to the wall yes Caitlin on Facebook said a cold case means less clues but also less danger and a recent murder means more leads but possibly more danger so i think i'll go with a recent murder more suspects in action please twist i totally thought she was gonna be like yeah so i'm gonna pick a cold case so i'll be safe nope suspects and murder in action i'll tell you right now caitlin will be like gun drawn like combat rolling over cars chasing down the yes perps. yes i can see it i can see it happening right now i'm so glad that caitlin has recently joined our patreon everyone by the way because um i'm pretty sure that she and i will get along famously oh yes crystal on facebook said cold case due to the possibility of finding closure for the family and friends of the victim after years usually without answers real jackson ford on instagram said cold case way more interesting and Krillin Lefoy on Instagram said, recent case so I can go solve crimes with Jimmy Perez and Charlotte. <laughs> Excellent. So what are you doing? Um, oh, I think a cool case as well. Hmm. If They're both puzzles. Yes. But both will like... probably involve murder boards? Even if they don't need them, you know I'm going to do it. I'm, I've got Redwall. I'm, I'm, will liberally apply. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, I feel like a cold. You know how you know I love like tabletop gaming and like that kind of like trying to fathom things out and mm-hmm. the tactics and stuff behind it. So I'm thinking cold case will probably fit my mentality more than what a recent murder would be i also think with a recent murder there's probably more pressure to get the crime solved sooner whereas with a cold case you could probably be a little bit more contemplative over the details yes it's going to be harder because you know there's probably not going to be any more evidence than what you've already got but at least you can re-examine it with fresh eyes and hopefully see something that's been overlooked before so i'm gonna go cold case just because i think it suits my mentality a little bit more than what a recent murder would be yeah i think i'm also gonna go go with a cold case because i feel like you know it's it's not been solved for so long so if i take a little bit extra time to study details and think about things a little bit more you know it's not it's not a rush so i can take the time that i need to puzzle things out and also you know solving a case that happened a long time ago when there you know wasn't dna and gas chromatography and all of that 
now those things are here. So mm-hmm. we have a better chance of solving them. So I think that's what I'm going to go with. Exactly. So, so I can use technology. the gas chromatograph mass spectrometer. <sighs> All right. I know. We Next question. Would you rather find chalk drawings creeping close to your house or a message that may or may not be for you written on a nearby sidewalk? I currently have creepy drawings climbing my You did that yourself. (laughs) (laughs) This is not, you're finding them, Claire. You're not doing them. Oh, man. Oh, but maybe that's a good question. Maybe we should flip it around. Which would you rather draw? Would you rather draw the chalk drawings of creepy people creeping closer to your house or write a secret message for someone? Creepy chalk drawings of people creeping close to your house. That's creepy. Now, see, I would pick the other one because there's less chance of being seen. And I would like blood splatter the hell out of it i would make it real like detailed a real creepy message you know what though you would be doing that and somebody would just be throwing pennies and pound coins into your your little pot of chalk so you'd actually be making money from it because they think what you're doing street art yeah and it's like, oh, she's drawing puppies. No, you're drawing. No, I'm drawing a, a secret menacing murder messages. Yeah. Menacing murder messages. Very good. <laughs> Can you say that ten times real fast? No, I can't. Remember the last time I tried to do that, and it was gas chromatograph mass spectrometer. <laughs> Stop making me say that. No. <laughs> You'd be saying it forever. Did you know that gas chromatograph mass spectrometer comes up as my first Google search? Just from the word gas. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Your computer can hear me saying it. Yeah. <sighs> can we please move on to the next question? I'm being I'm sitting here waiting. <laughs> Would you rather microwave a body or refrigerator body? And this is referring to the Jason's body in the car. You're not actually putting him in an actual microwave or an actual refrigerator. That would get messy because you'd have to cut the body down. Yeah. Um, I want to say, going back to, you know, the discussion here, I don't think there's any way that an air conditioner got as cold as they needed it to get. That when they opened the door, you could see their breath. Don't buy it. Not by it. But I will say that I will refrigerate a body because it will smell less bad. Everything you've just said, copy and paste for my response. Please. Cool. Okay. Next question. <laughs> Would you rather kill Jason and accept the consequences or go through an elaborate fucking scheme to convict a semi-innocent man of murder? I'm going to kill Jason and accept the consequences. Mm-hmm. Because, God damn it, I want the privilege of murdering that bastard. Me too. Same. Copy, paste. Cool. Question five. Duvet or comforter? <laughs> 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 no. <laughs> 
social media question. <laughs> <laughs> I choose comforter, please. I choose duvet. Of course you choose the duvet. Of course, because now I can have a duvet, dear. Look, in the United States, a duvet is different. A duvet is like, it's it's a shell. And then you have like a goose down comforter that you zip up in the duvet. So the duvet is like a coat for your comforter. And you can change it out and you can put different things on. That's what a duvet is. Sounds like you're talking about like bed covers. Because you get the duvet, which is the goose down, or, you know, mine's not because allergies and spiky feathers. Yeah, it's too um, much. Yeah. I only have like a 3.5 tog as well because my house gets really warm. I don't know what that means, Claire. You're being exceptionally the, British thi- like a it's duvet. It's thickness. It's the heat. So some people have a winter duvet and a summer duvet for their beds. And the summer duvet will have a smaller tog rating because it's thinner. So it's more just like a, a cozy, thick, like a thicker blanket. And in the winter, have a really thick one. So it's warmer. No. But my house is too hot for that. So I, I, I've got one and it's a summer duvet all, all year round. And you can put your bed sheets on. Can we just have, can we just have quilts and blankets instead? You could, but I think quilts are heavier than duvets. No, quilt is much lighter. There's something soft and squidgy about duvets. Now, I've had things, when I've been in America, I've had bed spreads that have been quite duvet-ish, what I would consider a thin duvet. I cannot wait for you to come and like stay with me for an extended period of time. And I'm just going to have so many different blanket choices because I don't know what the fuck a duvet is. I, I honestly so I'm just going to have I so need... many. Like, do you want this one, Claire? This one is a quilt. Do you want this one, Claire? This one is a blanket. Do you want this one, Claire? This one is a comforter. Do you want this I one, Claire? This one is a bedspread. You... I, I honestly got nearly <laughs> sent you a freaking duvet so you could just like, have a duvet day. It was, I was going to send it to you for Christmas. <laughs> Because I thought, I'm going to send you a duvet so you can have a British Boxing Day duvet day. Because I've told you about Boxing Day is a bank holiday. The day after Christmas in the UK is Boxing Day and it's a bank holiday. So you get the day off and traditionally I stay in fat pants slash PJs. You eat leftovers from Christmas Day. You read, you play computer games. It's a slob day. You There's no obligation. And then, you know, you just put your duvet on and you can go to sleep. And have a duvet day. And I was honestly going to send you one, but they, they can be quite big and quite honestly, postage to the United States right now mm-hmm. is no, it's terrible, insane. So it's what terrible. Get one from Amazon? Can I just tell you that the past, like, I don't know how many times I've sent you stuff, I've spent more on the postage than what your actual gift costs. Same. <laughs> it's Same. disgusting. It's it's terrible. I. <laughs> I had to take something out of one of your packages once because it went so much they were going to charge me like easily over 50 quid. I was like... <laughs> yeah, I sent you something. I think it was when I still lived in Washington. I sent you something and it was like $80 to ship it to you. And I was like, well, fuck, I'm already here. I got to do it. I think I took like a can of Iron Brew out just to reduce the price down so you had one instead of two or something. No, it was a six pack. 
And I ended up taking five out and just leaving one in because mm. otherwise it was just, it, I much. couldn't afford it. It's, it's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. Which is why now, if you're American and I send you any gifts, I try and get it from an American website. Yeah, same. Or something that has free shipping. Yeah. I will continue for the rest of our lives, Claire, to send you, like, hand-packed gifts. Regardless of the price, I will always send you hand-packed gifts. Because... Oh, yes. Because you're my friend and you would murder... Help me murder someone. Tom Tootin. Murder and get away with it. Yeah. We, we, we plan in less than 12 minutes because we're much more efficient than Pip. Yeah. Regardless of how much we may get onto the A the editing floor or B, we make off in tangents. If there's a murder, we're efficient. Yes. Oh my God. Okay. That's the end. Favorite final thought quote. What do you have? Two. Okay. How efficient is that? And More efficient than are... I am. I have three. Ooh, both of mine are Ravi quotes. Of course. There's a nap for everything these days. <laughs> yes. And thanks, Gravity, Ravi said with a thoughtful nod. The real MVP. Now, see, I was about to give Ravi the MVP. But no, he's right. It's Gravity. Gravity is the MVP. Yeah. Okay, so I have three. Cool. One, I mean... I said it during the episode. You're lucky I didn't put you in the ground, too. Because I just like how menacing it is. But then my other ones are... This one's kind of long. And it's really the last sentence, but you need the rest of it for the last sentence to make sense. Fantastic! I'm so glad that you'll look into looking into it. You know, this is exactly why more than 50% of stalking crimes go unreported. This exact conversation we've had here. And now for my favorite line. Congratulations on another episode of excellent police work. <laughs> Sarcastic bitch. I love mm. it. <sighs> okay. And then. Oh, it was just the man who's going to kill me. Nothing to worry about. <laughs> what ifs? Shrug. See, that was just like. Here there are monsters. Like, oh. No, sorry, Mom, I can't help you right now. I have to go do the bidding of the monsters in the woods or whatever that quote was. That's exactly the same vibe I got. It's so much better. Oh, my God, it's so much better. There were a lot of things that were very similar. Corpses, Mm. animal corpses, headless animal corpses. Murder? Attempted murder. Murder? Murder. Animal murder. Animals No, look, murder. Because remember... Sky murdered Tyler and got away with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But also there were antlers involved. <laughs> and now they're hanging on my wall. <laughs> Sorry. If you liked this, try this. Moving on. Here there are monsters. By Emma Linda Barabay. Uh, check out our episode and bonus where we talk to Amelinda and she is wonderful and we love she her. Is. She is our family now. And she, she will also help us cover up a murder. She might write it down and put it into one of her books. but I'm She probably will. I'm she probably will. What do you have? Jane Anonymous by Laurie Farris-Dawes. Oh, 
This book was so good. Wasn't it? Oh, it, it was, was so amazing. good. Amazing. Yes. Oh. Oh, I completely <sighs> forgot about that until you just said it, but oh, it was so good. Oh, yeah. This is another one where I listened to the audio and I was awake at two o'clock in the morning, freaking out over it and being just like, wow, I was blown away by this yes. book. Yes. It's amazing. Yes. And there's someone from somewhere. Somewhere where summaries are. Possibly. It's hard to say. Can't remember. Locked in a room with a bed, refrigerator and adjoining bathroom, I was instructed to eat, bathe and behave. I received meals, laundered clothes and toiletries through a cat door, never knowing if it was day or night. The last time I saw the face of my abductor was when he dragged me fighting from the trunk of his car. And when I finally escaped, I prayed I'd never see him again. Now that I'm home, my parents and friends want everything to be like it was before I left. But they don't understand that dining out and shopping trips can't heal what's broken inside me. I barely leave my bedroom. Therapists are clueless and condescending. So I start my own form of therapy. But writing about my experience awakens uncomfortable memories. Ones that should have stayed buried. How far will I have to go to uncover the truth of what happened? And will it break me forever? Oh my god, yes it will. Alright. What is yours? Mine isn't actually mine. Oh. It's Holly Jackson's, but I found it while I was doing my background research, so I thought it would be only fair to share it here. She suggested Survive the Night by Riley Sager. Charlie Jordan is being driven across the country by a serial killer. Maybe. Behind the wheel is Josh Baxter, a stranger Charlie met by the college rideshare board, who also has a good reason for leaving university in the middle of term. On the road, they share their stories, carefully avoiding the subject dominating the news, the campus killer, who's tied up and stabbed three students in the span of a year, who has just struck again. Traveling the lengthy journey between university and their final destination, Charlie begins to notice discrepancies in Josh's story. As she begins to plan her escape from the man she's becoming certain is the killer, she starts to suspect that Josh knows exactly what she's thinking, meaning that she could very well end up his next victim. Sounds pretty good. Do we have an indie spotlight this week? Bearing in mind, it is indie spotlight month. That's true. It is indie spotlight month. And no, not necessarily. This is not necessarily an indie. But it is the first YA book from author Sandra Block. And it was sent to us by Deb Shapiro, who represented PC Cast. And, like, I mean, you got to kind of trust what Deb Shapiro says. So mm. she sent it to us and so I thought we should share it. Especially because it is apparently good for fans of One of Us is Lying, which is kind of, you know, in the same vein as as good as Deb. And also go and check out a discussion of One of Us is Lying. Yes, please do. Okay. So this one is called Girl Overboard by Sandra Block. And it's not out yet. It's coming soon. Izzy is reaching peak boredom on a cruise with her parents until she meets daring new friend Jade, with whom Izzy can barely keep up. But a shockwave runs through the cruise ship when Jade 
goes missing in the middle of the night, leaving behind a cryptic note. Izzy digs deeper into Jade's disappearance, but someone doesn't want to find the truth. And if she's not careful, Izzy might not get off the ship alive. Murder on a cruise ship? That sounds like fun. It does. I mean, it sounds terrible, but (sighs) sounds like a fun read. It does. It does. I like it. I like it. Yeah. All right. So that's it for this episode of Fictional Hangover. I'm Amanda. And I'm Cole. Join us next time as, hey, we discuss a book from our Indie Spotlight segment. (gasps) We are going to talk about The Agency by Monica McGurk. Look out for our Would You Rather polls on social media. Don't forget about our book club and monthly challenges on Facebook. Be sure to visit our shop on Redbubble at fictionalhangover.redbubble.com for all your favorite fictional hangover-themed merchandise and become a patron of ours on Patreon at patreon.com slash fictionalhangover. Until next time, remember, the only cure for a fictional hangover is another book. You can find us at fictionalhangover.com, follow us on Instagram at fictionalhangover, find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash fictionalhangover, and on Twitter at fictionalhangover, no E-R. If you'd like this episode, check out our others, a rate, review, and subscribe so you don't miss out. And finally, special thanks to Liz Emerson for our music. You can find her on Facebook and Patreon. Thanks for listening. <laughs>